He wants to have all the wives, all the best looking wives. He controls all of the all the best wives. Yeah, he's, all the he's, good you know, wives. All the top Victoria's Secret models. <laughs> That's true. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 138 of the Movie Bite Podcast. It is a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and much, much more. I'm Mad Max, TJ, your host, and joining me with his flame-throwing guitar, he's really shredding those chords now. It is the war boy known as Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Doing great, TJ. How are you? I'm doing well. How'd you like that flamethrowing guitar anyway? That was... Oh, wow. It was right up there with, uh, <laughs> you know, creatures from Patton's Labyrinth. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> maybe the best part of the movie. Maybe. Mm, maybe. maybe. Maybe something that would, uh, you know, uh, stick with me in, in my my waking dreams and, you know, things that I would think about every waking moment when I turn around and, ah, what is that? Oh, it's, uh, it's nothing. I, I really didn't. I guess his purpose was to keep the troops riled up. I don't know. It was, yeah. 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 No, no. Are you sure? Have you never been to a rock concert? There's one of those guys in everyone. <laughs> flamethrowing guitars. I, I dig it. I, I'm going to have to go to one of these concerts where there's flamethrowing guitars. That's That's really cool. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you, Joe? I'm refreshed. I'm refreshed. I'm ready to sit down have and talk been, about some movies. You've been getting at least four hours of sleep a night? Uh, twice. Twice as many. Uh, sometimes even. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I've never gotten twice as many. I don't remember the last time I got eight hours of sleep. That's ridiculous. That, that just seems like excess. Yeah, the more children you have, the less hours of sleep. You you outnumber you sub, me. You subtract so. at least uh, 45 minutes from your nightly sleep with every child you child. have. Yes. And, and you, you're up to five, is it? Four. What? Four. four? Dude, it's like four? you don't even know me. It's it's like children. I see your children on Facebook several times a day, and I, and I just keep adding them. Mm, yes, that's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Joe, we have a special episode of the Movie Bite podcast in store for uh, our listeners tonight. There was a lot of interesting news for the movie uh, the movie world this past week. A lot to talk about. Yes, but uh, the the interesting thing about this week's episode is that I'm going to we have we have three trailers that we want to talk about. So I'm going to call this. Get ready for it. Here we go. Wait for it. It is trailer bite. In a world. In a world. 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 In a world. It's been a while since we've had a official trailer bite, so yeah. So the minimum requirement for trailer bite is three trailers or more. Maybe sure, we'll go with that. We'll call it a trilogy, a trailer bite. Yes, it, this is a, yeah, this is a this new is segment, a, a new segment of movie bite that we've never done before. No, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah, it used to be a regular segment, and we decided it was boring, and so we only do it occasionally now. It was boring. Oh, to do it was it never boring, it's, TJ. It wasn't boring. It was we had to change it up. We had to change up the formula. So it was expressive. And then sometimes you want to be less expressive so you can express something else. <laughs> but with with a a trailer as exciting as this, I thought that oh, we should yes. we should certainly have a trailer bite. I mean, who isn't excited for Kara Zorel? Is that crickets I hear? 
<laughs> I thought you were going to play a sample of the trailer. <laughs> uh, I, I am. I'm going to, but I, I wanted the effect of the crickets. So here we go. Here's a sample from the trailer. My name is Kara Zorel. 24 years ago, my planet was in peril. My cousin, Kalel, was sent to a planet called Earth. You may know his story, but you don't know mine. On Earth, you will do extraordinary things. Until now. You must go. I love you, Kara. about the correspondence dinner i need to make sure ms grant doesn't end up next to bill o'reilly again hey um i was wondering if maybe you want to i don't know go see a movie at night i can't I- i'm sorry i have a date date <laughs> fun dating is fun <laughs> yes dating is fun especially if you're supergirl apparently so that mm. is from the trailer for the upcoming cbs drama from yeah. dc comics supergirl uh starring on cbs a- yeah on cbs not on the wc yeah, imagine that what is interesting. There. Yeah, not, not, that won't. Be or, bad is this an alternate reality now? <laughs> Did we have some sort of space-time continuum rift? Uh, but but now, the uh, the uh, Supergirl Kara, Kara is a very ditzy kind of person in this trailer. Um, not maybe, but maybe not as much. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, not as much hmm. as the original 1984 Supergirl okay. movie, which gags me every time I think about it. Oh, why did you watch that movie, TJ? I do not know. I I wanted to see if it was as bad as everybody said it was, and Mm -hmm. it was way, way worse than that. It was way worse than that. (laughs) Well, for the record, this uh, trailer, though it's not like the most original or interesting because uh, Supergirl's story has been, uh, I I should say – heavily limited by the oh me too sort of uh comic book storytelling uh yeah. over the years yes it's uh it's 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 as far as the trailer is concerned it's not the worst version um no no and, and this is essentially kind of what i i said on twitter a couple of days ago is i it's certainly going to, I'll, I'll watch it just because it no know, to, to, it to clarify it people we're not talking about a supergirl movie we're talking about a supergirl television series right, cbs yeah. television yeah, series yeah. um but there's not probably going to be any sort of crossover with the arrow character or the flash character because it's on a completely different network yeah it's very unlikely i don't think which is a huge bummer universe. right because you know if you wanted to have like a young justice league sort of story unfold eventually uh, you know I don't know that it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. I think that there's already yeah. too much of the crossover stuff going on. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, have you seen the uh, have you seen the news about the new? Oh, what is that thing they're calling it? Um, the, the oh, Arrow right. Flash. Uh, the, the, um, oh. oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's a, it's a new TV show that's based on characters from Arrow and Flash, and I think yeah, another show. I saw the trailer for that, and mm-hmm. I guess that actually came out in the last week too, right? Or yes, the week it did. before? It did. Yes. Well, just so you know, everybody, you don't need to rush out and watch that one. It was. Um, I'll- Probably watch it because I'm invested uh, in the universe, what, but it's what, not. What, 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 TJ, where do you have the time to watch both Supergirl and The Flash and this other DC uh, <sighs> Avengers wannabe? Well, it, here's the thing, though, Joe. Because, because none you of have my... all those kids, remember? You're going to have to get rid of a few kids to watch these extra shows. <laughs> because none of the TV shows were canceled that I watch, which is – I've never – this has never happened to me before – I actually don't know where I'm going to slot these in at. I really don't know Mm. Um, because normally about this time of year, I'm on the hunt for new TV shows because all of my favorite TV shows have been canceled because nobody ever likes what I like Um, or certainly the networks don't. So this is a new experience for me. We're slipping into the accidental television show podcast. Well, I mean, but it's related to movies. It's movie Mm. stuff. It's movie in 45 minute increments. 
Come on. I see. Bear I with see. me. Bear with me. So, yeah, um, I uh, I will probably watch the Here, show. Here's the thing, though, people. Um, I think that a lot of the difficulty with Supergirl is that we can't get over the name and we can't get over how they treat the main character. And because she is a woman, it feels a little bit uh, ridiculous that they play her up as this oxymoron that she has all these powers, but she's a girl and she acts like a silly girl, at least in the Clark Kent sort of way. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to exactly come to grips and accept this version of a woman becoming a hero. But if you, if you, if there's a way in which you can see past the, 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 the cultural quandaries there, then in theory, how is the show all that bad? Because, if you had if you had a Clark Kent television show, it wouldn't be much different. Probably not. Clark Kent can be pretty uh, stupid. Fact, I, I think what we're yeah. having a problem with, I'm having a problem with, is it seems very stereotypical, and it's not like like we're all wanting a good female superhero. We, exactly. We want, a, we want a Black Widow or something, and this doesn't this quite feels, feel like what we wanted. It feels like it's too can pay, pandering, catering, and yet following yeah. the stereotype kind of thing. But at the same time, it also feels very true to the DC Comics universe. Mm. Now, th- that being said, we're talking about different eras of DC Comics. Right. So when there were different helmsmen that led the path for a new generation of superheroes throughout the 70s, 80s, 60s, and 90s, and double O's, <laughs> you saw different versions of the characters. And this version of Supergirl feels like she's out of the distant past brought up to modern times. Yeah. Because if you look at the things for Supergirl in recent decades – it really gets off the rails. Like it doesn't help anything that they modernized her because she winds up this freakish sort of alien. Sometimes she's like some sort of um, human cyborg. She has like a clone that lives inside of herself. She has magical powers that transforms her entire physique and hair color. Uh, you know, she dies. She comes back as a clone of another person. She has amnesia. It goes on and on and on in weird ways. And there's like no – it's sort of like the problem with Spider-Man in the comic books. There is the core story of Peter Parker as you know it, but then the more nerdy you get into it and the deeper you go and the more of the different universes you read, the more ridiculous it gets because you begin to realize there's really not a, a rock-solid canon about Spider-Man anymore because mm-hmm. there's all these comic books that have canceled each other out. And the same sort of thing has happened to Supergirl. It's just not common knowledge. So I actually think that even though I'm not super enthused about this show, I'll watch it because in a way it's kind of refreshing compared to a lot of the ridiculousness that's happened to the character in the comic books. Yeah. I I mean, again, I'll watch it. I'll give it a chance and I'll hope, I'll hope for the best because um, it it could be good. It could be good. I just, one of the things, I I mean, it it feels like they're really, this whole trailer, it's like eight minutes long or six minutes minutes or something. It gives away a lot of the plot of the pilot. It feels like they're really trying hard to sell us on this concept and it doesn't feel like Mm -hmm. it's excited about itself. It, you know, the trailer feels it lacks confidence. It lacks inspiration. It's like a hodgepodge of scenes and we have some of this and some of that and, and it doesn't feel cohesive. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to put into words everything I'm feeling about this. The Kara actress feels like she's being true to the character and really believes in the story. You know, you know, like if, uh, if you're a Disney princess at Disney world, TJ, they'll tell you to play the, 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 uh, part, you know, like you believe in it, you know, like it's really real. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so you get in it and you really engrossed and, and you, you just, uh, you become a part of that world. Right. And the same would be true of sort of like their presentation of Kara. 
But I don't really get that vibe from some of the other character actors in this show, like the guy who's playing Jimmy Olsen, who feels a little bit stiff. Like he, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm here to read lines and I'm here to tell you that I'm Jimmy Olsen because yeah. the extent of my part of the plot is to give exposition. That, and that is really that, – that sort of thing is where this trailer really felt like a me too. I'm you know we, We're in the Superman universe too. We're over here. Look at us. you know Oh, Clark sent me – or Superman sent me the blanket he was wrapped in when he came to Earth. Look at me. I'm related to Superman. Right. Uh, and that's another difficulty. Like why isn't Clark more involved in her life, especially when she's becoming a superhero? Uh, yeah, I know. It's you awful. know, and you know that he's not really going to show up in the show that much, if at all, ever. No, so not at all. That that's a huge conundrum. Um, Joanna Robinson of uh, formerly of uh, of Pajiba dot com, now of Vanity Fair dot com. Uh, she tweeted uh, a thing that I liked. She said. People like Felicity on Arrow, right? Cool. We'll do that, but without the brainy balance. Hashtag Supergirl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, so that that's that kind of sums up what I'm what I'm thinking here. Uh, yeah, it's. I I hope for the best. Maybe it'll be way better than we think it is. Maybe this is just bad marketing. There's always that. I mean, it just feels like this whole trailer just feels like it's trying too hard, way too hard. Because this is the age of superheroes, Joe. We need another superhero TV show because. Again, in every aspect, this thing is like me too, me too, uh, and 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 I do think there's some 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 part here that's like everybody wants a female superhero, and we've got the we've got the property, we've got Supergirl, so let's do it without thinking too hard about what it is we want in a super in a female superhero. Mm. So, I think we should move on to our yeah, next yeah. trailer. There's better news this week. We had the new trailer for the Pan movie. Every boy needs a backstory. So we got the prequel for Peter Pan and Captain Hook and some other random pirate that we don't care about. Let's take a listen. I love you, my Peter. You are extraordinary. More than you can imagine. I promise that you will see me again in this world. This is the beginning. Or another. This is not the end of me. This is the beginning. This is not the end of me. This is the beginning. Is this Canada? He's the pirate. <laughs> All pirates fear. Blood fear. Welcome to Neverland. That was from the trailer for the upcoming film Pan. Uh, uh, Joe, this this trailer is fraught with trouble. It is it is fraught really, with I, trouble. I was feeling like this was the best of the Pan trailers out yet today. Oh, that may be true, but okay. this 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 thing is just full of trouble. I, I'm not sure what this movie's trying to sell me on. I'm not sure why I want to see this movie. I'm not sure why we need it. Um, I'm not sure who the good guys and bad guys are. There's triumphant music playing when Blackbeard is on the screen. There's triumphant music playing when James Hook is on the screen. There's triumphant music playing when Peter Pan's on the screen. There's triumphant, like, it doesn't give us a sense, like, what is going on? It doesn't give me a sense for the landscape or or the good or the bad or what's what in this trailer. You've got uh, a very white Rooney Mara playing a uh, Indian tiger lily. I mean... Uh, and who Jackman is? Uh, who is he? He's Blackbeard. supposed to be Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Blackbeard? Yes. What? Blackbeard? It's very strange. 
There's there's a little bit of Harry Potter going on here. There's a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean going on here. There's just this this thing suffers is suffering a huge identity crisis. It doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know what it wants to be, and it still wants us to come see it. That's that's what I'm feeling. <laughs> I think the problem with the trailers in general is that they show very little story, and they seem to hype up a lot of uh, you know like pixie dust and you know sensational looking artistic shots and special effects, and then sort of stage acting like over the top. I am going to give you a performance of the lifetime. I am T James Hook. <laughs> you know well, that, that feel that, that it feels fake. It's not that that can, is necessarily bad. It's just not it, necessarily. It, it doesn't feel right here. Some, something. Well, it wrong doesn't feel here. like it's necessarily for kids. It's like it, it doesn't right. know the target audience. That's more of this film's identity crisis. This film is suffering a huge identity crisis in every conceivable way. It, it does know. not know what it wants to be. It yeah. doesn't know who it is. It doesn't know what its audience is. It doesn't know anything. I know what it's like. It's like if Peter Pan met Alice in Wonderland. Mm. It's just a little bit like, whoa, what thinking, kind of dream? What did I have for supper last night? I was thinking I more remember. if Peter Pan met Harry Potter. Even so, Harry, well, uh, yeah, I can see some connections there. But Harry Potter made more sense. It had more. Uh, oh, y- yes. that's. Uh, I didn't say Peter Pan meets Harry Potter made any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it makes very little sense, in fact. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I don't understand why I wanted to see this, and I still don't. And there's sort of a generic quality to Peter Pan in this this movie that doesn't characterize him as the little boy that we know. The, the you know this really excited, bull, adventurous, uh, take charge sort of boy. Here he feels like one of those empty vessels you're you the the viewer in the audience is supposed to put yourself into, mm-hmm. so that he he is just general enough that. Anybody feels like they could be Peter in the movie. Right. And that doesn't feel true to the character. Like Peter Pan was always supposed to be spunky from the get go, well, like true to himself. He was always supposed to be out there. He wasn't just a normal child that one day got clunked in the head and realized I'm going to be exciting because I've been sprinkled with fairy dust. You know, that's not going to happen. So I don't get what's going on. There's a reason why the stories are never told from Peter's point of view or why he's never like, sure, he's a protagonist, but he's not like we're, we're usually with the darling children. And there's a reason why we're not uh, from Peter's point of view, the, you know, with the exception, of course, being of Hook, where that's an entirely different deal. But normally with classic Peter Pan, we're being told the story from the darling children's perspective. And it's because I think Peter works better as a magical character who comes in and saves the day or who's who's kind of part of the world but not our not the foil for us you know what i'm saying there's there's a yeah. reason why that is not usually the case and and you're right this peter pan feels very generic he feels very um normal and and, and i'm I know, a boy filled with wonder yes yes it's it, it's not working for me at all i, I know i'm I, Boy, today two two movies in a row. I'm, I'm not. I'm sounding like old man TJ over here. <laughs> Back when I was a kid. Are we grumpy enough to be yes. on the slash film podcast yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we're we're working on it though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I just I don't understand what it is that I'm supposed to like about this movie or this trailer. Um, I'm not not seeing anything here that's drawing me in. Okay, I uh, you know actually this um this is uh, just going to be the same song, third verse. When we come to the next trailer, Are you ready to talk about that one too? Yeah. Speaking of, let's let's see what this is. At nine forty-one, the planet's going to shift on its axis. Nine forever. 
two most significant events of the 20th century. The Allies win the war, and this. You can't write code. You are not an engineer. What do you do? The musicians play the instruments. I play the orchestra. I sat in a garage and invented the future. Because artists lead and hacks ask for a show of hands. I love that you don't care how much money a person makes. You care what they make. But what you make isn't supposed to be the best part of you. You're the only one who sees the world the same way I do. That was from the trailer for the upcoming Steve Jobs film directed by Danny Boyle. And that was written, essentially the entire trailer. Uh, no, there was still more to go. Uh, but it was directed by Danny Boyle. It is directed by Danny Boyle, and the screenwriter is Aaron Sorkin, which is probably the only reason. I've heard good things about Aaron Sorkin, so that's probably the only reason I'm interested at all in this. This okay. trailer certainly, again, same same song, third verse, didn't really make me all that interested. And well, I, and I do like the cast. Y- y- hmm. Michael Fassbender doesn't really strike me as a Steve Jobs, though. No, see, that's not. the thing. That That's the problem. You know, I, I know this is an unpopular opinion, and I know you don't really agree with me that much, uh, I think, if I me? remember right, you. Um, but the film by Joshua Michael Stern, Jobs, starring Ashton Kutcher, that to me was a pretty good Steve Jobs film. Uh, oh, actually, I'm right there with you. I agree. I wouldn't say it would be the best of all time, you know, sort no. of story about Jobs, I, but I was satisfied. I, I would say we're going to be hard-pressed to get another per, another performance as good as Ashton Kutcher's – I can't believe I'm saying this – as good as Ashton Kutcher's Steve Jobs. I, I find that hard to believe that we're going to ever get that performance again. And yeah. jo- Josh Gad as Steve Wozniak was pretty brilliant. Um, I I just don't you know uh, J.K. Simmons as Arthur Rock of course was was great. Jeff Daniels as John Scully. Ooh. Yes, it, it was uh, it was pretty pretty impeccable in a lot of ways. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I I hopped over here to the other movie again. Okay, yeah. no, but I hear you. I I just I liked the cast of that film. I did. It was a good film, and I enjoyed it immensely. And when it was all said and done, Ashton Kutcher looked enough like Jobs that it didn't get in the way that the actor did or didn't look anything like Steve Jobs. Uh, yeah, like Michael Fassbender, he looks nothing like Steve Jobs. Nothing. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he doesn't especially sound like him. And uh, they, I mean, like, what are they doing with his hair? So basically, yeah, they they've put these round glasses on him, you know, because Steve Jobs used to wear uh, these round glasses, and they think they've they've conquered Steve Jobs, and I just. He I doesn't. He, I, from what I in the trailer, to, to be fair, the trailer is not very. Um, uh, it doesn't long. show. Very it doesn't much. show very much, and so I, we could have the wrong opinion here. But the, I'm not seeing the emotions of Steve Jobs. I'm not seeing the way Steve Jobs comports comported himself and carried himself. I'm not seeing Steve Jobs here. No, it, it is possible that they could capture the spirit of the history and perhaps the character of the man. And perhaps in some of the facts, they could get more of them right than, say, the Jobs movie with Ashton Kutcher. And perhaps even better off than – I mean let's say in a perfect world, they outdo all of the biographies for the portion of his life that they get to show. It's not going to be a huge biopic. It's not going to cover like his entire life story. It's only supposed to cover what? Maybe a decade or so of things surrounding sort of the um, the release of the iMac. Is that right? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, like, there I'm I'm expecting some flashbacks where they'll show a younger Jobs and Steve Wozniak saying, "Hey, look at what we just created—the very first computer in the garage." Just because they can and will, um, not like they need to show that yet again, but they will. Um, it would be nice to see some other unexplored parts of the Apple's history. And uh, the, uh, but I actually heard a great critique about this particular uh, point 
from other podcasters we know and love like Jason Snell and Mike Hurley and Stephen Hackett and other guys when they were talking about the latest Steve Jobs biography called Becoming Steve Jobs mm-hmm. they pointed out that in that no- that I was going to say that novel in that biography the authors were trying to make the point that Steve yes could be a jerk like you know we all know him to be from a variety of different sources and we also know him as this great innovator and he was creative um, he could do some things very flamboyantly and do some strange things. He, uh, you know, he dabbled with drugs. He, he didn't treat women fairly. We all know those things, but what they were trying to convey in this most recent biography was that he was also like a guy who wrestled with the bigger problems and tried to do the right thing and, and wanted to be noble in his own way. And he tried to do some things right. And he may have got them right in his latter years and not enough people really talk about those things. They don't really talk about how he ultimately grew up and he matured in several ways. And that biography only came out not too long ago, already after this movie with Michael Fassbender. Bender had already been scripted and they were already filming it. So the likelihood that the more recent information um, would have an influence on the movie is very unlikely. So in all in all likelihood, the movie will still reflect sort of this um, this limited – uh, stereotyp- stereotypical version of Jobs that he was just you know a difficult guy to work with that could you know change the world, but you know not really tapping his humanity, and, and I'm, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that that's what the movie's going to be about. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm just tired of all the job stuff in general. I mean, it's it's like guys, okay, we've we've got a couple of movies out there, we've got a we've got several books out there. Let's calm down for a few years. Let's let some. Let's let some time well, pass. I, I agree when you have a movie like this where it feels like they got a lot of things maybe right. We have to wait and see. But come on. What's going on with the cast? I love Michael Fassbender, but there ain't no way he's Steve Jobs. Nope. Not at all. Sorry. Just it shouldn't happen. Shouldn't be. Yeah. That, I really that, love the guy. I, I think he's a great actor. I just don't think that he can pull off uh, a likeness that makes me sold that he is Steve Jobs. No. I, I hope I hope we're both wrong, but I completely agree with you. I, I, I just again like he kind of looks like the one-eyed Steve Jobs in the uh, the teaser trailer thumbnail. You know, he, he's got this huge shadow cast over his right eyeball, and you can't <laughs> see anything there. He's the one-eyed Steve Jobs. Yes, uh, that link with that picture will be in the show notes. Uh, Moviebyte.com slash mb podcast slash one thirty eight. Really, he looks evil. He does. He really does. Don't want it. Don't care. Uh, so that's uh, that is our exciting trailer news for the week. Yeah. So that's trailer bite. Let's move on, uh, Joe, to something a little more interesting, and that is okay. that Chris Pratt uh, will apparently be in non-Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel films. Um, oh, the Marvel is, bite. Okay, here we go. It's not really that surprising, I suppose, mm-hmm. but uh, he said um, he was speaking with GQ. Pratt revealed he's sticking around the Marvel Cinematic Universe for quite some time. He says, I'm tied to doing three, mo- three more or five more Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever it is, you know, two more Guardians films plus another couple. Yay. So... Um, that's interesting. I think I've, I've known, Did you doubt? no, I didn't really doubt. I think that I know that we're heading for guardians of the galaxy merging in with the rest of the Marvel universe, but it feels somewhat separate. Um, although we, we got Thanos and stuff in there, but it's, it didn't feel like it was connected with the rest of the MCU that much. So I know that it, it feels like we're probably heading for a merger. You know, there's going to be some crossover there. So I think that's going to be okay. fun. What do you think? I'm all in. I love the character. I think Chris Pratt is a great actor. I like what they did with James Gunn's movie. And in some ways, it even steals some of the thunder from the Avengers. I don't feel like the Avengers can do compete with the same themes. Um, so 
it's like the Avengers might be the most epic ensemble superhero franchise that we have at this moment. But Guardians of the Galaxy was one of those films that rivals, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark people. And you may not like it that much, but you got to admit it harkens to that kind of story really well. And uh, maybe not as perfect. Maybe it doesn't work for you as well that way. But it sure as heck did for me. I, I I see it as an instant cult classic. It's just fun, and it's got a lot going for it. Well, all I can say, Joe, is that I look around and you know what I see? Oh. Losers. <laughs> and there's one other name. There's one other name you might know me by. Star Lord. No, I'm not, I, I, I don't see it. Who? Star Lord, man. <laughs> Oh, this has gotten uncomfortable very fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Star-Lord and other MCU films. I, I, I guess the question in my mind is, will he, like, join, you know, the Avengers? Or, be like, will it be an Avengers film? Will he be, like, tagging along with the Avengers? I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Do, and, and do you want to sound the spoiler horn? We know uh, one thing. Yes, go ahead. Spoiler horn sounded. In general, in some version of, like, some Avenger stories, Rocket is one of the Avengers. Ah, okay. Well, be I don't fun know to have officially Rocket. about yeah. I don't know about Star Lord, but I know I know that they become familiar with each other. They're acquainted. Well, um, yeah, I I would be. <laughs> it's it's a mixed bag. I'm sitting here thinking I would love this, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah. how, how many characters are we going to have in the Avengers now? <laughs> all of them, TJ. all of them, all, all the, the characters. characters, all the great characters. Yes, we're going to get them all. We want them all. So that's the news on the Marvel front. Um, we're moving now towards our review of uh, Mad Max Madly Rodinus Furiosus, as you said in the uh, <laughs> in the show yes. outline. In the I show outline, to, you had not put in the title of the film, so I just had a little fun with that. Yeah, yeah. Anything goes with this movie. So um, I wanted to point out that we okay. do have a couple of resources in the show notes. Uh, Mad yeah. Max Primer is Fury Road a sequel or prequel? Should you see it in 3D? And, yes, uh, yes, this no, is, and yes, and yes. Uh, no to the la- latter. This is um, Russ Fisher writing this article on Slash Film, and it was pretty good. Um, the, the main takeaway, though, is that, uh, yes, you probably should see the previous Mad Max films, but you don't need to see it for this film because this is – it's not a sequel or a prequel, but it's it's more like a revisiting, um, a kind of building on the legend, as it were. A sort, of, sort of like what Superman Returns did. I know That's you don't a great like way to film, put it. But. That's actually a great way to put it, to describe them as legends. Yes. And that they don't have to have a lot in common, but you kind of know that they have things in common. And yeah. they don't have to happen before or after each other. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I remember watching the Mad Max films a long time ago. It's not like the, the the film that I saw, certainly. This newest film had so much plot in it that it had to have maintain some sort of continuity. Like it could exist in the in whatever universe it wanted almost because it's just sure. like – Sure, could have happened was, in the Marvel universe. Right, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, great resource to kind of walk you through some stuff. Do you need to see the other films? Uh, yes, but you don't have to see it for this film. Um, what, oh, one of the ones that I found interesting, uh, I noted that uh, Hugh Key's Burn, Burn – was in one of the original Mad Max films, and he's in this film as the villain, but he did not play the same character, so there's no connection there. It's not not the, that big of a deal. Um, should I see Mad Max Fury Road in 3D? And and I would agree with this. Our advice is to see it in 2D if you have a choice. This is a film with an incredible amount of constantly moving detail, and 2D is going to be the best mm-hmm. way to see all that. Okay, so did you see it in 3D? I did not. I, I did. get I get headaches from 3D. I did too. We we talk about this every time it comes up. I hate 3D. I saw it in 3D. It's gimmicky. It's stupid. It is. And, and it was so stupid in this film, my friend. 
because the very beginning it was like, Ooh, 3d, uh, nothing going on here for 3d. And then I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited. And I kid you not in like the last 20 minutes of the movie, there was one special effects driven shot where it, it was so obviously trying to create the impression that things were flying right into your face. And then it was over and it happened for like the whole of maybe five seconds. And I kid you not, that was the only moment that the 3d mattered a whit. And the rest of the time, they didn't get in the way. They really didn't add anything. And it didn't feel like the movie was catering at all to 3D. Which is It's one of those – which is a very good thing. It's like one of those situations where a movie is not shot in IMAX cameras, but then they want to play it in the IMAX because there's a bigger picture. It's going to be better, right? No, we all know that that ain't true now. We all know better than that. People, so stop showing them the IMAX. Uh, All right. One other resource before we dive into this film that I wanted to point out about this film is uh, an article by Angie Hahn on Slash Film titled The Heroic Masculinity of Mad Max Fury Road. I don't agree with every point she makes in this article, but it is on the whole a really great article. Um, and, and one of the parts that really – it's on the – there's a three-page article, and it's on the first page actually. She says, all of the major male characters in Mad Max Fury Road are manly men in every stereotypical sense. They're strong, silent types who are good at fixing engines, firing guns, and hitting people. What separates the good ones from the bad ones is that they is what they use the masculine power for. The villains use their strength to destroy and subjugate. A recurring refrain in the movie is who killed the world. The answer is bad bad men like Immortan Joe and his war boys. They treat women like property to be prized and machines to be used. They let the masses die of thirst, doling out just enough water to keep the survivors in their thrall. The heroes, on the other hand, use their strength to support and build. Max and eventually Nux throw themselves into helping the escaped sex slaves who just want to be treated like people. As the story goes on, when Max and Nux fight, it's to protect themselves, the people they care about, and the cause they're devoted to. When Immortan Joe and his warboys do, it's it's because they're upset they cannot treat humans as property. Excellent article. A lot of great points made there. And I just want to point out that that this is... You know, people think of the masculine, manly man figure who goes out and, you know, destroys and kills and whatever. And and I really like the the difference here. She says, um, you know, where what separates the good ones from the bad ones is what they use their masculine power for. It's not that they're masculine. It's what they use that power for, you know, to, right. to support and build or to destroy and tear down. And I really like that. That was a really good article. Very well written and a great resource. That'll be in the show notes. I definitely agree. I read it this afternoon and she does make some great points. All right, let's get into our review of Mad Max Fury Road. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. We are not things. We are not things. Where is she taking them? I want them back. They're my property. 
That was from the trailer for Mad Max Fury Road. It was released on May the 15th, 2015. It had a budget of $150 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $45.4 million, and the worldwide gross is now sitting at $115.7 million. The critics' consensus is that with exhilarating action and a surprising amount of narrative heft, Mad Max Fury Road brings George Miller's post-apocalyptic franchise roaring vigorously back to life. The director was George Miller, writers George Miller, Brendan McCarthy, and Nick Lotharius. Uh, I have no idea if I'm saying that right. The stars are Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, Nicholas Holtz, Hugh, Key- Hugh Keys Barn- Burn, Zoe Kravitz, Rosie Huntington-Whitley, Riley Keough, Abby Lee, and Courtney Eaton. The composer was Junkie XL. That's probably not uh, a nickname of some kind. <laughs> Joe, why don't you uh, tell us about this film's story? Here we go. An apocalyptic story set in the furthest reaches of our planet, in a stark desert landscape where humanity is broken, and almost everyone is crazed fighting for the necessities of life. Within this world exist two rebels on the run who just might be able to restore order. Believe it or not, TJ. There's Max, a man of action and a man of few words, who seeks peace of mind following the loss of his wife and child in the aftermath of the chaos. And Furiosa, a woman of action and a woman who believes her path to survival may be achieved as she can make it across the desert back to her childhood homeland. Oh boy, <sighs> Joe, we have a lot to discuss here. And yeah, it's, you know how weird. I wanted to. You know how I wanted to read that storyline. How did you want to read an it? apocalyptic story set in the furthest reaches of our planet? You know, like that in a stark desert, in a stark desert landscape where humanity is broken. Uh, work on it. Yeah, I'll work on it. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot here to discuss, and it's weird because there's not a lot of plot to this movie, but what plot is there resonates well. The action is well done, and the critics, Joe, they love this movie. What is with that? Who ever yeah, heard of the you critics go ahead loving and let the cat out of the bag? Because this is kind of an epic rating system here, dude. Like this is this is crazy talk. This doesn't happen. Mm, it's happened a couple times, but not often. So, um, oh boy, you're giving me a preview of what you're. <laughs> what you're going to say. So the critics rate this film 98% approval rating from the critics. So let's get into this, Joe. Um, what, what did you think? I, you're already, you've, you've written your star rating down in the show outline. And it's completely <laughs> distracting me. Oops. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the likes and dislikes. Uh, let's talk about the general observation. Um, okay. This movie has a fundamentally brilliant sort of director. It has, an all-star cast that is really reining it in. They do. They just perform everything to the vision the director had in mind brilliantly. I think in terms of like craftsmanship, this one just nails it. This is a grand slam inside the park home run type thing that just never happens. You have the breast sort of chemical explosion in the laboratory and everybody became the flash. It's just, it's insane how intense um, the style the pace, the delivery, and the consistency of the whole thing is. It feels like um, – it reminds you of like – well, it feels like a video game, like an yes. apocalyptic video yes, game. It does. A modern, A modern apocalyptic video game, whereas the other Mad Max of movies of the past made by the same director didn't yes, feel this he did, way. He, George Miller has done all the Mad Max movies so far. Which is interesting because interesting. apparently he didn't have the budget and means to sort of create this sort of film until now maybe – Yes. Um, it's one of those things where I actually wondered while I was watching the movie, 
what studio like would do this sort of thing? And it's actually just Warner Brothers. That's the simple answer is that <laughs> Warner Brothers is a little bit more adventurous. They're a bit more out there. Yep. And I don't think a lot of other uh, studios would have been willing to give the director his vision like this. Now, we might be all wrong, but I have a feeling like the producers, the studio didn't seem to interfere in any sort of way with what the director no, had. No, I mind. didn't get any sense of that at all. You get the impression this is 100% the director's vision. Like I, would I agree. don't know if there was a super cut, a director's cut that was an extra hour long. I don't know, but I I, I can't see it. I don't, I don't think so. It I, seems it seems tight. It just seems like everything that belongs is here. Yes, I would agree. You know, and it's interesting. Um it's really interesting that the critics love this movie so much because it's not the sort of movie you usually think no. when you think of film critics loving a movie. It's like, you know, the 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 more plot-driven, character-driven, you know, less action-y movies. And this film is essentially three action scenes. And they're each, uh, you know, 45 minutes long. <laughs> it's, just, it's essentially what this movie is, is three action scenes. And they, and, and they just sort of go, well, I guess there's the opening action scene that makes it four. So essentially four action scenes. But it's it's a very interesting bit of filmmaking and the plot it's funny i felt like there were times when i was missing information and it didn't matter because it's like well why is the world broken well it, who broke the world like you want to know these the answer to these questions and one day i hope to find out but it, you know i have to i have to prefix this and say i've not watched any other mad max films so i probably that's probably like yeah it's explained in these other films go watch those but it, it, it's it's very interesting how he the, the director was able to convey information to us without needing to tell us. There is very little dialogue even in this film. It's all very visual, very visual storytelling. You you get the idea of what's going on when when Charlize Theron, um, when Furiosa, you know, kind of swerves the vehicle off the road. It, it, it's already conveyed what's going on. Like he didn't have to tell us. He didn't have to have plot. You know. We just knew, oh, she's defecting, and uh, then, you know, the, the guy, he says, where are, the, where are the women, you know, and they're all gone. Like, you get it immediately. You don't have to have a lot of exposition. So he, he's, it's very tight in that way. It is interesting that the film is dealing with a post-apocalyptic world where you, you imagine it's got to be like 99.9% .9 of the world's population is just gone. There's practically no sort of – Life on Earth, there's no vegetation, there's no wildlife. Um, you're lucky if you happen across a lizard, a two-headed lizard at that, and you eat it. Right. <laughs> um, and then you have people who, the, the, even the people that are still here, TJ, they should all be dead too because it doesn't seem like there's enough rations to go around. And somehow you, ha you have the villain who's got them all hyped up to become like their god and their evil overlord terrorist type person who they all worship because he controls the food supply. Yeah, yep. And so they they build him a huge devastating war machines and you know it's just like he's amassing all all these weapons and war machines mostly you know like car like vehicles and uh just just for the the in the event that he has to like rain his terror down on something. All right. But, but, but there are other people out there though. There, there are other people that live out in the boonies, like they're sand people and uh, on motorcycles and such. Mm -hmm. And so if there were an uprising from the outside, you could understand why he would want to defend his territory. But at the same time, it's really hard to justify why anybody would actually like the guy. 
So you feel like you're lo- you're missing out on a lot of history mm. of like what l- brought us to this particular ridiculous situation. See, but that's where I felt like I didn't need a lot of explanation. I mean, we've, yeah. we've seen in history yeah. that people follow I these understand. crazy terrorists. Like yes. y- you've got you've got the wacky Waco situation. You- you've got people who who stand up and lead, and people who follow these right. cults. I mean, I- that wasn't that hard yes. for me to buy. It's just very intense because there's so much of it. Like there's no. I mean, like, this is not like the evil empire. This is like weird, offbeat terrorism yeah. and uh, evil overlord garbage. Mm-hmm. And then all these people who, who look like they're albinos by choice that uh, worship him and live, what do they call themselves, war boys? And of all ages, all men, um, they all uh, abuse women. They treat them differently. <laughs> Like they're like they're essentially useless, TJ. Like even if they respect their moms and their sisters, they still treat them like they're all outcasts who don't really have a role to play in, in any sort of cog of the system. Right. Unless you're a slave because you're pretty and therefore you're a sex slave and you will bring us babies. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah, th- th- this isn't like the most graphic movie we have reviewed, but in some ways it's the most intense. Yeah, it's intense. It's not graphic. It's intense. Like they didn't even show there – was, there's was a scene, spoiler alert, where a man uh, becomes decapitated and we didn't even see it. We did not see it. We could tell that's what happened. But like right. in that way, it's not gruesome like that. There are some gruesome things in this movie. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't like they showed us full on decapitation. Like I, I, I interestingly, I actually just recently watched uh, Stardust, uh, which is a great movie. I highly recommend it. But there's a scene where a witch with her power decapitates another witch, and we like see this happen. Like it's so that's even more gruesome. A, a PG thirteen, I think Stardust is is more gruesome in that way than this movie. So that was interesting. Uh, interesting uh, juxtaposition. Uh, but this movie certainly has some gruesome scenes. Don't get, get don't get us wrong there. But this just wasn't. It, it's 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 interesting how it's a difference between intensity and and just not outright gruesomeness. You know, they didn't show us the blood and the gore. So, you, yeah, you you want to talk about just the the kind of the style of the action or the like like how he was able to convey a sense of place and like even though there was a lot of fast action and fast cuts, I never except for a couple times, felt like I was thrown for a loop or didn't know where I was or didn't know what was going on in, in the world, which is important, especially when the film has so little dialogue. Like, it's all carried in the action of what's going on. You want to talk about that a little bit? It's really well done. Like, uh, you don't have to work too hard to follow the story when you only have one guy to really follow who they establish at the very get-go is essentially the guy you're, you're rooting for. He's the protagonist. Yep. He's the first uh, guy, I think, that they show – and because you know the villains are pursuing him, and you know they want to take advantage of him and abuse him and use him as a meat bag, you know you're feeling for him and you're rooting for him to escape. And so they don't need to explain, you know, what the protagonist wants. He wants his freedom, yeah, and we know course, it. It's so apparent. And then whenever they show one more layer of the bad guys, it, it's always worse. It's always more gruesome than the last. And so there's no question of now which which are the which are the bad guys like you, you don't have that question because no. they they look it they look the part no, in it's every very way clear. it was very clear they make stormtroopers look like your friends yeah and and but even more than like you're you're absolutely right there's a lot of narrative clarity in this film that is so lacking in so many films um and and that clarity extends not not just to what you're talking about where we know the difference between the good guys and the bad guys we know which side we're rooting for immediately but it extends to the 
to the action. Like there's, there's just such a sense of, of, um, you know what's going on here and you know what's going on there and you're not confused and it's not this haphazard, um, uh, born supremacy style, uh, action where, you know, the camera just shakes around and that's just good enough. You know, it's, it's very well, um, choreographed. It's very well thought through. Like all the action makes sense. Even if not all of it is believable, it all makes sense. It's all, it all feels like it's happening in a real space somewhere. Which again is is so important for a film like this that it basically is just an action film. We've talked about the importance of a really iconic villain before, and we we recently talked about Darth Vader and the <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. Yes, and, and we got that level of badness from the the top villain in this film, Immortan Joe. Like the name is like, oh dang it, they had to use Joe. But okay, uh, the guy he's an he's the ultra <laughs> creep. He is as bad as they come. He looks like the worst of the worst sort of a pro wrestler on like all kinds of screwed up drugs. And then everything he does in the movie, there is nothing he does that is redemptive. There's no silver lining. There's no way you can relate to him. And what they establish is he's like this freakish sort of patriarch who has convinced everybody he's a God and that it's his way or the highway. And he wants to have all the wives, all the best looking wives. He controls all of the, all the best wives. Yeah. All the good wives, all the top Victoria's secret models. And then (laughs) he's got, and and then he's also got uh, all all control over agriculture and industry. And he's not making the world a better place. It's like, it's like, this is what would have happened if the Emperor Palpatine could have kept being evil Emperor Palpatine for a few more thousand years. You would have wound up with the remnants of all you know, civilization in the desert just like this yeah. after a long time of terror. <laughs> this, this, this was, it was gruesome how bad it had come. All thanks to this guy who was uh, – yeah, he's right up there with the, the top villains of cinema. Yeah, I, I I just realized, Joe, as you were talking about Immortan Joe, that I missed a, a I seriously missed a great opportunity in the opening of this show to call you Immortan Joe. I'm very glad you missed the opportunity, <laughs> especially when you identified yourself as Mad Maxish. Uh, I was like, oh dear, I see where this is going, and I think I would have hung up on you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, everything you're laying down. I'm I'm picking up. It's it's. Uh, it's just I, I don't know. I I went into this film with a lot of hype, right? And I'm trying to ignore the hype, but at the same time, you can't completely ignore it. And I thought I'm really going to no. hate this film because it's so hyped up. And I I didn't utterly hate it. Like like it was really good, and it was it was amazing. Even though I was expecting it because I had read all you know these things, even just the, the tweets of of how great the action was. But just seeing like nobody does action like this at all. Like this is great. Why why isn't there more like this? Yes. In terms of the action quality, like it just made sense. It just rolls from beat to beat and it was so cohesive. Um, some other people were comparing it to the likes of, um, you know, the, the born identity series. Yes. Everybody has a problem with the action of the born films. I I know some people like it because they introduced some novel approaches. My problem comes in with a second born film and, and on the first born film actually had really decent action. Anyway, Mm. continue. See, that's funny. I I liked the first film most. I liked the third film second most. And then the second I thought was disgusting. It gives me a headache. That's exactly what I just said. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Got to make sense. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
this movie action wise, it's impressive how much of it was probably done on camera with real stunts. None of the CGI stuff. But at the same time, I think that a lot of the critic consensus has gone overboard to shower praise on how all of the stuff that you see in this movie, it looks basically real. I do think so too. Yeah. It's over the top because there are obviously a lot of shots in this movie that are bathed in CGI. They just weren't used on the cars or on the stunt involving the the the, the physical human beings but, but that Joe, were in the shot. You do have to give props to this movie, though. There is an impressive amount of what feels like practical effects, even if they're not. It yes, feels like yes. it's practical. It feels like the grit and the dust and the dirt is real. It feels like there's real fire coming out of that guitar. It feels like the the things are real in this world. There there was some obvious CGI here and there, and I'm you know that we're still in. An age when you can tell cgi usually um and and that's fine but this film really felt real and and i i have no doubt that that they're getting to the level of in this film where there was stuff that was cgi mixed with practical and i couldn't tell it and that's fine when i can't tell it i'm happy and i was very happy with that completely agree i wish more movies had this characteristic yes well, all, all that being said, um, I, I think that we should, I, and I feel like you're just dying to get here, Joe. We should talk about the things that we don't like about this film because um, there, there are some things, and I, I do think that the critics have, like you said, they've gone overboard in their praise of this film. They're completely overlooking, I think, its flaws. Um, and the first thing I want to know, Joe, is what the heck is up with that little baby guy? Like in a, in a, in a society that apparently <laughs> treasured these women for the type of offspring they could produce. And this guy was like Immortan Joe's son. And like, he didn't just chuck him in the river or something. Like, I don't understand what's up with that. <laughs> there, there were some weird things. Very weird. Um, very weird. And this, this is systemic of the bigger problem for me that I had with just the entire movie. So much of it is just so weird. Um, it, so much of it is just so ugly and so much of it is just like, um, a part, it, it feels like it's really a part of the heavy metal rock culture. Yes. And the, the, whether you like that music or you don't like that music or you appreciate it from some angle, then you can appreciate it more in this movie. And honestly, I'm not into it. Like in the slightest, I'm not even curious I am amused by it somewhat. I find it very interesting. I'm not opposed to it all necessarily. I'm just not into it. And so to see all this stuff on screen that is intensely ugly, I think that a lot of people would say that everything was so ugly that in some way it became beautiful. It (laughs) became artistic. Whatever. whatever. I think a lot of people would. I think a lot of people would say, oh, it was all so ugly. It was like the ugly duckling that was transformed by its sheer ugliness, making it so amazing. And I'd be like, no, this thing is just ugly. And so much of it is so ugly. It's trying so hard to be ugly. I'm, I'm not digging it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that the, uh, this idea that uh, these ugly things can have some sort of beauty or I don't know. And it's fine. It's, it's the production design of the film, right? It's the, it's the place in which it's set. It just doesn't capture me as this, you know, super well-designed thing. Like, I think that you can, I think you can even do this style in a little bit less ugly way. But but maybe that was the point. So yeah, I go back and forth on this, Joe, because maybe that was a point. Like, they're, they're these, they're living in this, essentially in this squalor, even though this warlord has all this water and all this power and these, these uh, Rosie Huntington Whitley model wives, um, they, um, they, they still like they have this this uh basically these 
they have cannon fodder war boys that they just throw out there and they're going to die. And they're told that dying is a great thing. They're almost at the end of their <laughs> half-life and they're going to rise again. And I don't know. So at the, at the same time, the ugliness makes sense for the world that they're in. You know, and, and it's this whole the, – the, the culture is just yucky and awful. So I, I, I'm kind of of two minds about it. And I I think that so much of this movie it, it exists on the ugly that it's nonstop. It's like visually it to me feels like it's a, akin to a bike crash getting up and being, you know, given some uh, pickled apple cider and saying, here, that should make it better. Like the experience is everything wrong. Like that's not going to make me feel better. Pickled you know, apple cider. <laughs> you know, it's like everything is just screwed up. So as to say, oh, but don't you just relish the experience? Wasn't it trans, you know, porting you into another world? Didn't it capture you and your attention and, you know, get your heart thumping? And it's like, you know, there's some things I just don't want to be captivated by. I'd rather be entertained by something a little bit more normal. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will say this. I'll, I'll give you this. What I don't get is how anybody could find any of those cars or war machines or, or vehicles cool. Like they were ugly and they were okay, nasty. Now. And and I know okay. people are like, oh, it's so cool. Look, you're brr, brr, you know, the, the manly <laughs> uh, test, testosterone fuel thing taking over. And I, I'm just sitting here looking at all these vehicles going. Ugh. Okay, well, see, that's actually funny because on in the inverse, I enjoyed the craftsmanship of the cars <laughs> in isolation. We're such opposites. Like, it's it's weird. It is weird. I know that this is strange. So if you visit the MadMaxMovie.com site, there is a section to it called the Vehicle Showcase, and you go into the Vehicle Showcase, and they show off like three dimensional models of like um, about two dozen of the cars in the movie, mm. and they all look really cool. They had a practical purpose; they were serving in the movie. They had a name for them, and uh, they were supposed to be uh, optimal for specific situations. It's all very clever, and in isolation, just looking at the cars, you're like, I know this is absurd. But it would be fun to drive that piece of wreckage just once because it would be unique in and of itself. Um, but at the same time, it's not pretty. It, it, yeah, it's it's an ugly machine. I'm looking at these uh, cars in the vehicle showcase, which, by the way, I had to click through 15 different things, and it just makes me sad that this is all still using Flash. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm looking at the vehicle showcase here, and I don't get it, Joe. These this this car looks ugly, <laughs> ugly. It does, but it's okay because it's a it's a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Did you notice that like more than half of the cars in this movie are actually like really old antique cars that have oh, yeah. been well, cobbled I think, together? I suppose the idea is that after whatever happened, whoever broke the world and, and however things messed up, like they're just salvaging all the parts from everywhere that they can find. And right, but they're not salvaging any parts from any cars made today. That's true. These all look very old. Like even the war machine, like it's a truck with a big diesel motor in there. Like it's like – a car thing on the top. It's very strange, very strange design. I, I don't know. It's, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> I'm glad you like them. I'm glad you enjoy them. This, this link will be in the show notes. So, um, uh, some things that I found odd, Joe, um, were, were stuff like, and maybe I feel like a little bit more explanation or something. I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't want this to become a dialogue heavy film, but, but like what was with, uh, you know, Morton Joe and his breathing apparatus and the thing on the back of his neck and the, the mask, like, why did he need all that? And why was it off at the beginning of the film? And what, like, I don't know. I didn't understand any of that. I didn't understand uh, what was going on. 
It was like, yeah, he was basically putting on his Darth Vader super suit in a way at the beginning of the film. And it was just hideous with or without the suit. It was disgusting. Oh, it was very <laughs> disgusting. He's like this, you know, very uh, white, chalky with, with sores. And I don't know. It was uh, it was a little strange. And and I, I don't know. It just I, I just didn't, <laughs> I just wanted just a smidgen of explanation, just a little bit. And I, really? I get it. I, you don't need a lot of exposition in this film. I get it. I totally do. But I'm just, I'm just not sure what, what, what was going on. I'm just not sure. It, it, and I think the other big thing is that this world really doesn't work. Like you, you don't. I, I think you had you were even though I defended it a little bit. You were onto something where you said that the people like they were mindlessly following this guy, and we don't know why. I, you know, in in like. What was keeping the people there? What, what, why weren't they just overrunning? It, it was obvious when when Max came back at the end of the film without spoiler alert, without Morton Joe, um, and they basically just sort of the people just sort of took over and and did what they wanted anyway. Like, why didn't that happen before? I I don't know. It, it's very complicated. It, it feels like some things are very contrived to create an apocalyptic scenario that in large part is just not feasible. It, it, it's not a construct that, that, that can really work because if there were this many people in this sort of desolate area, they more than half of them would be dead and they don't have the means to stay alive. Um, like they, they may have all the mother's milk that they want in the world, yeah. but they don't have any shelter. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, you, you, uh, this film is called Mad Max Fury Road, and it's about cars, and essentially. And then we've got uh, Furious Seven, which came out earlier this year. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on this year with with furious cars and stuff, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. What, what else do you not like about this film? Um, I was watching the movie with my wife, and from the get go, we both kind of shook our heads and smiled at the film, not with the film. And it was basically that way for the entire film. Mm. Like we understood why it was supposed to work. It's like watching a comedian that's he, – he's got to be great for some people, like the way he's able to work the audience and you know jokes that just work with certain people. And you know it's happening, but it's not happening for you. And that's what it was like for me. It was just – again, it was a stylistic choice. It was like this is really impressive. I was not falling asleep. I I appreciated that there was – a great attention to detail. But then at the same time, when it was all said and done, I was like, I spent a lot of money for this. <laughs> I spent a lot of money for this to see it in 3d, no added value there. I could have told you that. And I didn't want to see it in 3d. I, I was trying to see it in a 2d mm. showing and the theater uh, website actually said that they were showing it and they weren't. So we went to another theater in town and we took whatever they had and it happened to be a 3d showing. Yeah. That's happened a few times since we've been reviewing movies, but um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't want to dis you know disappoint other people. I feel like the guy who doesn't like Star Wars because everybody <laughs> likes Star Wars, and you, you can't argue with critics and the audience. Yeah, but there's a few percentages out there out the that I, that I'm among who just uh, really don't dig this film. Um, I you know going back to one thing I like. I do appreciate how cohesive the essential narrative actually is. And the way it ends is somewhat unexpected. It's not altogether predictable. 
though it does, uh, you know, it, it does essentially appease and please the audience in, uh, some stereotypical ways. Um, I just, uh, but then when it was all said and done, you get up from the movie and you're like, well, let's go watch the end of the Mad, Mad Men series finale because that'll uh, <laughs> clear our minds of this thing. And did that happen yeah. this week? I had no idea. Nobody talked about it on Twitter at all. <clears throat> oh yeah. Uh, TJ, there was a show. It's been around for six seasons. It's called uh, Mad Men. It was based on some uh, people in the advertising yes, business yes, in yes, New yes. York city. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So we're talking about Mad Max though. Not, not Mad Men. Uh, we're talking about basically Mad the same thing. Yeah, it's basically no? the same thing. Yeah, set in the same oh. time period and all the same cars and cool stuff. Yeah, 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 cars. They were both big into cars and women. So we've talked a lot about this movie without talking about how great Charlize Theron was in this movie. How amazing, like great performance, and, and Tom Hardy for that matter. I mean, he didn't say hardly a word, but following both of their progression through this film – Especially like Tom Hardy, he, you can see at the beginning of the film, he doesn't care about these people, whatever, and he comes to care. Like the, without him saying hardly three lines of dialogue throughout the entire film, he gets this character progression that is amazing, and it's 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 spot on. It's not over the top. It's not like a complete turnaround. It's just like this slow and steady character progression until we totally believe it at the end of the film when he's given his blood to Furiosa to make sure that she lives. Yeah, I like Charlie Theron in mo- I mean uh, most anything. Yeah. Um, I, I just think she's a great actress and I, I like it. I dig her. She's, she's great. Um, and the character I think is one of those where I don't know if this would have happened, but in another reality, it's the kind of character that Natalie Portman would have ended up with. And I would have been so unhappy, um, just because it would be so, oh yeah, there's Natalie Portman doing a thing and it would not have felt right. this was more Charlize Theron's territory. Yeah, I, I'm not completely disagreeing with you, but you have a problem with uh, Natalie Portman? No, just sometimes. I don't feel like she's the right face for some roles. And she would have been pegged for this sort of role. I suppose. So. I, I'm not seeing Natalie Portman in this role, but whatever. It's fine. Yeah, I, I was very happy with the the way that uh, this, this film, these characters were written in such a way that they got such a great character progression. And in a way that in a lot of films that have a lot of, you know, you would think have good character progression. They don't do anything with their characters. And, and these characters, they had something to fight for. They had a progression throughout the film that was obvious. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like they did things that were, they had sudden turns or did things that were out of what you would expect them to be, uh, you know, out of character, so to speak. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was great. I thought it was uh, really great. Is something I didn't expect from this movie was I, I still don't understand is just how much of the audience and the critics like this movie. And I wonder if it's because maybe not everybody in the audience who has seen this movie or is going to see this movie has rated in yet. Maybe not everybody has cast. Their uh, that's not the case as far as I can tell. Seems pretty high. Yeah. A lot of people already have chimed in. Yeah. It's just uh, really hard to believe that this movie is as great as all this, that people think that this movie is this great. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe this is why pro wrestling on TV works. It just, uh, <laughs> Come on. I, you cannot put this on the same. <laughs> it's not the same. I'm just saying they have a lot more in common than other things. In which Joe compares... Uh, Mad Max to pro wrestling. I have to tweet this soon. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand how you could even do that. Pro wrestling is the worst, the worst. 
Did you really not enjoy yourself at on all? A, on a surface level. No, I, I enjoyed myself in some ways. Okay. Um, and again, it usually went back to the cars. It went back to, oh, that's pretty cool looking. Uh, and here, here's another thing that I think is um, unexpectedly pleasant. That the for the most part, this movie is a great big car chase. It is a great big chase chase. Yes. And um, I've talked about this over the years about how I I'm somewhat uh, sick and tired of movies going falling back on that particular plot trope. You just see it over and over again. You just see chase after chase after chase. And, and if there if the movie doesn't have something else better to do, it turns into a chase. And in real life, there aren't that many chases. <laughs> Um, so it's really annoying it, to see it show up so often. It, it apparently is so easy for these filmmakers to create chases, not necessarily car chases, but all kinds. Well, it's what people, it's what the people want, Joe. I guess so. But this movie in large part, one great, big, insane chase in terms of chases, it was one of the better ones. Uh, just, uh, it didn't feel unoriginal in, in most any way. Like they, they had pulled off some, really clever ideas in terms of chasing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some, some crazy stuff, definitely some stuff that you just wouldn't think about normally in, in the way that the action was. And it's hard to explain. You have to see the film. I hope you all have seen it. That's all I have to say. I I really, Joe, after having talked about this film now for a few minutes, I I really only have one question left. Oh, and that is what the heck is a blood bag for a human blood bag? What was the point of all that? Like, why was he getting this guy's blood? Why did he stick him out in the front of his vehicle? And then why was his blood being brought into the other guy's veins? Like, I didn't get any of that. That didn't make any sense to me. I got the impression that Nux was actually recovering from some sort of physical condition. Mm. And because he was one of the war boys, he was given special treatment by having a blood bag just to recuperate. And it's not like they had healthy medical practices. No, not at all. They had a very rudimentary, basic, barbaric sort of, here, we're going to give you mother's milk and call it, you know, whatever they wanted to call it. And uh, make that a uh, you know a high commodity kind of item. It was very strange. It was so weird, and, and that's the kind of thing that you see with the blood bag. It it kind of makes sense in their own crazy reality distortion field. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, you wanna you wanna kind of bring this in for a landing and tell the people what you think. Yeah. Okay. So if you if you've seen the trailer and you liked what you saw and you're curious, you're probably going to love this movie. If you saw the trailer and thought, I don't know about this, you probably won't be crazy about the movie. And it boils down to taste, I think, more so than a question of the quality of the film's craftsmanship. If um, you're just not really into this kind of gruesomeness for so long, <laughs> which I'm not, then uh, it, it's going to kind of disappoint you. So on the one hand, I feel like the film deserves a better star rating than I'm giving it. Because it's just not the kind of movie made for me. But uh, because this is me and I'm validating, I'm standing on, you know, what I believe would, you know, be a a tasteful film. This is not one of them. And so I'm giving it two stars out of five. Ah, you slay. You hurt me, Joe. You're hurting me. And I hold star ratings, other higher star ratings of other people against no one. Okay, good. I accept all God's star ratings. (laughs) Just like all of God's children. Yes. So I, um, I rate this film higher than you do, Joe. Um, and I, I went into this film 
not expecting to like it as much as the rest of the critics. I thought, A, it had been overhyped, and B, it did look like one long action movie, and that doesn't necessarily look like the sort of movie I would be into. Um, And and to be honest, um, at at the end of the day, uh, I like something like what we reviewed a few weeks ago, Age of Adeline, better than this film. I really do. I I would rather sit down and watch a good drama, a good romantic uh, drama, or any kind of drama, really, and I do like Age of Adeline better than this film. That said, I like this film. I enjoyed sitting – there There was a point in this film where uh, it caught me off guard and I was into the characters and we thought one of them was going to die. And my, I felt like there was a little bit of onion being chopped in the room. I was surprised by that. And I was surprised at just how much story this film was able to convey and almost nothing but action. And, and, and what positive um, kind of messages you were able to take away from it. Again, I highly recommend Angie Hahn's article in which she talks about uh the way women were portrayed in this film and such uh very very good uh very good read there so i and keep in mind too as i recommend this film and i say yes you should probably see this film that 92 percent of the audience who have rated it on rotten tomatoes have liked this film 98 percent of the critics have liked this film so keep that in mind as i say that i give this film four out of five stars more than I expected to give it. I expected to give it about three stars when I went into the film. I, I, I figured I would come out and say, eh, three stars, kind of worth seeing, you know, whatever. And I would have to say, no, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and recommend this film just because it is so well done. If for no other reason, it's just so well made. And it doesn't feel like a film where the studio tampered at all with the director's vision for the film. And I recommend supporting those kinds of films as well. After seeing being frustrated by Joss Whedon having been having so much studio interference from marvel it just it, it's it's refreshing and it's something that i want to support so in the end i'm recommending this film you give it two broken wheels i give it four out of five stars so there we go mm-hmm. the as i've already stated a rotten tomatoes 98 percent of critic approval rating and 92 percent audience approval rating imdb yeah, users I think you've made your point imdb users rate this film 8.8 out of 10 uh, mm-hmm. uh imdb stars it's still a better, uh, what do you call it? Love, love story. <laughs> yes, than Twilight. It's like your thing now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hijacking that from Fizz. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's you're, you're carrying the torch. You're carrying the banner for Fizz. All right. Well, um, with that, Joe, uh, tell people, tell the good people where they can find your incorrect opinions and reviews on such things. Mm, okay. I'm available on Twitter as underscore Joe Darnell. And I podcast here at Yonder and everywhere else. I'm I'm available on my other shows, Tectonic, and that's Tectonic.fm's website that you can find that. And also the coffee podcast, which is topbrew.fm. And you can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro, and uh, that's pretty much it. If you want to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 138. That is where you'll find the show notes, the links, and all the various things that we talked about. If I mentioned it was going to be in the show notes, that's where you'll find it. You'll find that great article from Angie Han. Uh, you'll find the primer on what you need to know before you go to see Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, you'll find all those painful trailers, and you'll find out more about Chris Pratt. Uh, And so we uh, don't know what we're talking about next week. That's become a common reoccurring theme, but we will figure it out and we will let you know on the Twitters or whatever, or maybe you'll just download it in your podcatcher and you'll find out what it is. Who knows? Who knows how we'll work here, Joe? We work in mysterious ways. So uh, until next time, Joe, have a great time at the cinema. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.